Hi, everybody. Stefan Molyneux from Freedom Main Radio. I hope you're doing magnificently here with a good friend, Mike Cernovich, a lawyer and an author of a great book called Guerrilla Mindset, How to Control Your Thoughts and Emotions to Live Life on Your Terms. Follow his work at DangerAndPlay.com and on Twitter, at least for now, at Twitter.com slash Cernovich. We'll put the links to all of that below. Mike, how are you doing? I'm doing great, and I'm still on Twitter. So hey, man, we'll be grateful for what we have. I'm, I'm grateful. I'm still I feel. On I feel Twitter. we we should have a countdown clock, you know, like just in the bottom of a video, time till estimated Twitter suspensions. But uh, so you're down uh, in Cleveland, or I guess up in Cleveland for our most southern uh, listeners. And how is the convention going so far? The convention's been great. The people are it's all good vibes. Everywhere you look, you see smiling, happy people. People are glad to be there. Um, the protests have been almost none, so we can maybe talk about that later. Overall, though, the vibe is strong. People are glad to be there. The, the negativity you see on the Internet with the Never Trump people, you don't find any of that when you actually go out into the real world. Now, I guess my first question is, how is poor Milo holding up? He's always struck me as such a delicate flower that uh, his Twitter ban, I assume that he was just curled up in a fetal position, anime style, sobbing uh, under a table in the back of a bar. How is our little delicate flower holding up? So I gave Milo a big hug last night. I said, I'm so sorry, baby, that you were suspended. And he's having fun with it because there, there are two elements, battle strategy going on, Okay. So Twitter banned Milo before his big gay fabulous party that we were having at the RNC to kind of sabotage the party, which didn't work. But that was a bad strategy because it's the RNC, so there's media everywhere. So now Twitter has turned what they wanted to be a smaller story. They wanted to kind of snipe him in that petty, small-minded way. It's now an international story such that uh, a friend of mine here, her mom is 70 years old, and she goes – I saw in the news that Milo was suspended from Twitter. What is going on with that? Right. Milo, well, this, this whack-a-mole that the media plays with the Streisand effect just seems to be a hard lesson to sink into some people's heads. Well, they're used to controlling the narrative, and they're not used to people like you, people like me, people like Milo, having our own media platforms and striking back against their lies. So let's talk a little bit about the background. Uh, it seems to have risen out, at least the, the cover story, I suppose, uh, other than it seems like Twitter's had it in for him for quite some time, is this uh, fight with the Ghostbusters uh, actress. I wonder if you could help fill people in who have only heard the tail end of the story. Yeah, I've never heard of this woman who starred in Ghostbusters, which was a terrible movie, according to reports, and it's going to not make back the money that was put into it. So Ghostbusters was started as a, a social justice warrior experiment, propaganda, anti-male, and they went all in. Hollywood went all in with this anti-male feminist crap, and the, the media has – and the film has it done well. Even the Hollywood Reporter in the first review gave it a bad review, and it's gone, it's gone badly. So Milo was kind of gloating and mocking these people, and then he started mocking this woman, Leslie Jones, I believe her name was. And her Twitter, she is a, a, an illiterate person actually. I couldn't understand what she was saying at first, and Milo kind of made fun of her for being illiterate. And then Milo followers went in, and they started screen uh, photoshopping tweets of hers that she didn't do. And she was so stupid and so illiterate, she was just saying, shut down these accounts. They're, they've hacked my account. But nobody had hacked the idiot's account. They just made photoshops of her tweets. This is how dumb and low consciousness she was. I had no idea who she was, but if she weren't a – so-called celebrity, then you would just think, wow, what a really stupid person. Why is this person even 
around saying anything. Nobody really cares. But because she's a, a celebrity and also because she's black and Jack, like a lot of liberals and social justice warriors, view black people as a little pets that they have to protect from you know, the, the mean people out there. That's always going to be a big trigger. If you look at Chuck Johnson, who was suspended from Twitter, well, Chuck Johnson was going after DeRay. Mila is going after Leslie Jones. And to Jack, black people don't have autonomy, but they are pets for the liberals and the social justice warriors, and they have to protect their little pets, and that's what Jack did here. Right. So um, it seems that the complaint is something like this. Uh, if you have hundreds of thousands of followers and a few of the people who follow you say mean things on the Internet, that's on you. And that, of course, is a very selectively applied metric, to put it mildly. It doesn't seem to apply to Black Lives Matters or other groups uh, whose followers do. I guess you could say a little bit more aggressive stuff than mean tweets. Yeah, Black Lives Matter has actually doxed people, threatened people, doxed high school students. And I've, and I've cataloged all of their abuses. And yeah, I mean, I can make Twitter's argument as a lawyer. Twitter's argument as a lawyer is that if you want to harass somebody, you will just dot at them to give yourself plausible liability. And you'll say, look at this person. This person is an idiot. I hope bad things happen. Well, you're not harassing them, but you are sending a kind of unconscious signal to the mob to go after that person. Now, if Twitter implemented a set of rules where they said anytime you tag somebody in a tweet and you say mean things about them, you're going to be suspended, then I would, I would say, okay, I understand the position. You want it to be a happy little place, and that's cool, but that's not how the rules are applied. I've had the Black Lives Matter people come after me, threaten my life. I've had social justice warriors report me to the state bar, call the Los Angeles Police Department on me. But Twitter, Twitter doesn't care when that happens to it. So it is, it is again, to understand all this stuff. You know, you have the, the logical case that Twitter tries to make, which, oh, this is targeted harassment. But ultimately, it comes down to the racist and dysfunctional view that people like Jack have with blacks, where they don't think black people like Leslie Jones are able to fend for themselves and they must be protected by good white liberals like him. And I find that view kind of appalling and disgusting, actually. Well, uh, so let's talk. I'm not a lawyer, but uh, as an annoyingly attempting to be consistent moralist, uh, of course, people say, well, Twitter's a private company. They can do whatever they want. They can apply whatever rules they want. And I, I kind of get that, although they're publicly traded saying they're a private company is not exactly accurate. But, Mike, the thing that would strike me is that they have a set of guidelines which they say, here are the rules by which we operate. And they don't say, but we create exceptions for various groups and we target other groups more consistently. Because, you know, if you're a conservative and you spend years building up your following on Twitter and Twitter never tells you, by the way, if you're conservative, you're much more likely to get targeted, then you are the kind of not being honest or accurate in how they report their policing of their site. And that would seem to me to be at least to some degree a kind of misrepresentation. Not only that, but I view it as racial discrimination. We don't ever see black people who dox people who actually do actual harassment, right? We're not talking mean tweets. We're talking posting addresses, telling people to shoot other people. When black people do it, the Black Lives Matter people do it, Twitter doesn't do anything. So Twitter, even though they are a private company and do, they do have the right to censor people, they are censoring people based on your, your skin color, which is racial discrimination. So when people say, oh, Twitter's a private company, they can do whatever they want, I go – no, well, you can't. If you refuse to hire an employer, an employee because of his color or his religion or his sexual orientation or because he's a trans, then you could be sued. You could be held accountable. If you're a Christian, you won't, won't make a Muslim a cake or you won't make a gay cake. 
you can have your business shut down. Well, Twitter here is clearly discriminating against people based on their race. And because of that, I don't buy into that. Well, they're a private company. They can do anything line of thought. Right. I mean, there's countless examples. Paul Joseph Watson uh, was talking about uh, a tweet wherein, you know, somebody threatened to come to his house and beat him up. Uh, death threats against Republican senators uh, remained on Twitter for weeks before being deleted. And I think, if I remember rightly, one of the guys, not a funny issue, but one of the guys, uh, a guy who shot a bunch of cops lately, his Twitter account remained active. So it does seem uh, to be somewhat selectively applied. I guess it's sort of like uh, IRS audits of charities or stuff like that. Yeah, exactly. There's one set of rules based on where you fall in the social justice of privilege hierarchy. So if you're a white male, your free speech is X. And if you're a black woman, transgender, Black Lives Matter activist, your free speech is X to infinity. Yeah, I mean, look, if there's a communist website out there and they say our goal is to promote communism, then at least you know they're biased, so to speak, and you're not going to write a whole bunch of free market advocacy articles for them. But if they say we're neutral, but they only or mostly accept communist articles, that's kind of causing people to waste a lot of time. So, ah, you know, the old thing, hate speech tends to be defined as uh, uh, conservative speaking facts. That <laughs> seems to be how it's going these days. Now, and, and this, this bothers me as a whole, just because with things like Twitter, with things like the internet, you know, free market guys create all of this amazing stuff, and then it gets swarmed by all of these parasitical, leechy leftists who end up trying to turn it into crap. And I just feel like the free market keeps, keeps delivering up these wonderful mechanisms uh, for uh, this kind of uh, bias. Yeah, it's always ironic that the people who supposedly hate the free markets on the left only create these companies and products because of the free markets. So There's so many inherent contradictions, as you know, amongst the left. And a lot of people are getting fed up. And that's, of course, why Trump has done as well as he has. Everybody is kind of seeing through the lies and everybody's just sick of it. Okay, so let's, Mike, let's talk about, I think, one of the great coups you had recently. Um, so you talked about, uh, and I know that you've got this uh, spider web of information, the tweets and the birds flying your way with little uh, facts clasped between their beaks, uh, because you found out, or you were informed, that the Cleveland Police Department had a stand-down order with regards to the uh, convention uh, that you're at. Can you help people understand what, how you got it, what it means, and, and what played out from that, which was really an amazing story. Sure. So right now there is a divide between a lot of um, police departments, and this goes all the way to the FBI. You have the regular officers and the regular agents who are very much pro-law and order. They want to defend liberals and conservatives. They, they don't play favorites, right? You have a lot of the higher brass who are maybe never Trump people. They're maybe liberals who believe in lawlessness. So what we happened, we saw happen in San Jose was that Trump supporters were physically assaulted. They were chased down. They were run down. Police just watched them get beat. They didn't do anything because there was a stand down order in San Jose. Now, you're never going to find the memo saying there's a stand down order, but you look at what happens. Well, the same thing happened in Chicago. There was also a stand down order, and I heard that from a local law enforcement source after that had happened. So in Chicago, Trump's rally was completely shut down. He wasn't even able to have it. Because the police said, we're not going to protect you, you're on your own. Well, a similar stand-down order had been filtering its way through the ranks in Cleveland. Now, of course, there's no memo from the chief of police, do not do your jobs as police officers, but everyone kind of knew. So I got that tip, and I said, you know, I need to expose this because I knew what would happen. I wrote this story, and I knew that if it went viral, the 
police flax and the chief of police would say that I was wrong or thing, but I didn't care. I just wanted the police to actually do their job <laughs> to be safe. So PolitiFact even, you know, fact check me and they're, you know, they're trying to discredit me, but no, I got the, I got this story. It was a great source. And because of us and because of people like you and everybody made it viral, otherwise I'm just one man with a blog, right? Because everybody made it go viral, then they actually have to respond now to us, which I think is amazing. I think it's amazing now that I write a story PolitiFact wants to fact check it, and then they're calling the Cleveland higher ups, the Cleveland Communications Department, the police department. They have to answer to us now, and I think that is an amazing time for us, and that's really showing that we're making an impact on the world. Oh, don't don't make me do my mainstream media dance. Uh, is that my, my mainstream media is dying dance because you really don't want that burned into your central cortex. But it is a joyful time for rational voices uh, in the sea of misinformation that poses as the mainstream media. So the reason behind this, if I understand it correctly, I'm sort of trying to put myself in the mindset of these people, which is always kind of a gross thing to do, but, you know, can be helpful. So, Mike, I think that the, the idea behind it is if the police do their job, then the violence of the left will be exposed much more clearly because the left at the moment is still largely in a verbal phase. But if their verbal phase uh, fails, usually what's happened historically is the left just erupts in outright violence and they don't want the violence of the left to be imprinted in the mind of the American public, particularly in this last race to the November election. Well, the stand-down order for me is sort of you know, it's, it's, it's weird to say it, okay? So if the standout order had gone into it, because here's the way I just think about it tactically, right? Like a, a general strategy. If the standout order, and I hadn't exposed it, had been in effect and the left had been gone feral and been violent towards people, that would have actually been better for us in a way because we could say, look at all these people. That San Jose stuff, I mean, you talk about writing political ads, the other side writes it. All you have to do is say, look at these people. They're flying a flag of another country. They're attacking people. They're saying they're going to kill people. You have bloody faces. You have women with being thrown um, eggs thrown at her. You have kids being chased down. Well, the optics of that are actually good for us. But the higher point is we wanted to keep people safe, and that was why I exposed the order. But what, what you mentioned is you know, thinking about it the way the left thinks about it. They – this is not an exaggeration. They truly hate us. They would put us in re-education camps if they could. Look at Pol Pot, look at Stalin, look at Mao. It was always the left that put people in the re-education camps. And to us, we are the enemy to, the, to them. And they want to take us out. They want us to be hurt, us to be attacked. And they don't want the police to protect us at all. Oh, so they want free range for the uh, radicals to, to attack. And in a sense, they wouldn't really care about the optics that, that come out of that? Yeah, because, well, they don't, they don't think. I mean, that is the whole, part, whole thing with the left, right? You, you dismantle their arguments rationally. People go, well, Mike, you know, Stefani's got this great show. He's so logical. He's like a philosopher king. Why aren't you more philosophical? And I go, well, I'm glad he's doing what he's doing. But you need people out, out there like me just calling them cocks because they're idiots. And they don't have any coherent arguments. They, they really don't. When you deconstruct the arguments the way you do, you never find – an intellectually, intellectually consistent point. So, for example, we're at, um, there was a little skirmish at the Milo speaking event. There were 40 maybe social justice warriors showed up. And then two or three Trump kids came out. They were you know, counter-protesting, build the wall. Well, we had a social justice warrior get in the face of the Trump supporter. And then I got over there and I'm like, hey, 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 you know, what's going on? Well, the kid went and hid behind the police. And I go, well, you're the guy saying fuck the police. 
why you hide behind the police, right? And that's so typical of the left. They say, we hate the police, fuck the police. Well, here's what I say. Okay, let's not have the police do anything for 12 hours. And the social justice warriors and people like me can meet in the streets and we can see how that goes. Well, without state power, without law enforcement, they would be over in 12 hours. Their, their little movement would be done. They would be sent away like the little rats and roaches that they are. So if you even look at the very uh, premises of their argument that they hate the police, you realize, well, that is intellectually inconsistent because they have to have the police to further their mission of oppressing us. So they're, they're just incoherent. And that's why I just troll them. I'm, I'm like, you're just idiots. I'm glad you do what you do because you need, you know, I, I attract a different crowd than you do. And you need, we need to, you know, have a big tent and get everybody in. But we, uh, we you, can't all be doing like, the same thing. Division of labor is key, right? You need waiters, you need managers, you need everyone at a restaurant to make it and cooks and all. Everybody can't be doing the same thing. That would be kind of boring. And let's talk a little bit about some of these protests. You know, I was watching your periscopes and, uh, of course, people can find them on Twitter. And am I, is it my imagination, Mike? Am I going crazy here? Or when you go up to uh, a, quote, protest, um, it seems like there are a lot of people there with microphones, and it seems like they're almost outnumbering the people who are there with signs. Right. So the big thing that I've been trying to do is showing how fringe and marginal these groups are. So I, I count the people while I'm there, and I go, okay, we have 15 or 20 people from Code Pink. We have 30 to 40 commies, and then we have about 40 sort of random social justice warriors. All in, I haven't counted more than 120 different people. That's it. At most, you have 120 people. So what happens, though, is the Code Pink people are here at you know, noon, and they're doing their thing, holding their signs. And then three hours later, they move down the street, and the media follows them. And the media say, we got to protest here. we got to protest there. Meanwhile, I'm there, and it's the same idiots from yesterday, the same 10 or 12 of them from yesterday. And then when you look, there are, there are cameras everywhere, just random people watching, and then the police – Nine out of ten people you see in any picture of a protest are gawkers, journalists, police officers, looky-loos. Maybe one out of ten of those are actual protesters. And then they wave the camera across, and it looks like a bigger crowd than it is, but it's mostly reporters in search of the crowd that they hoped would materialize. And uh, it's like the way they don't show the crowds uh, that Trump is facing, but only show the podium forever. I mean, this kind of manipulation. It's like with the media, they don't understand that there are thousands and thousands of intelligent, dedicated people deconstructing this mythology in real time. It's like they don't even notice, like they're throwing crumbs out uh, to find their way back, and the birds are all eating it up in the forest. And they, it's like they don't even have a rearview mirror to see what's happening to their narrative. No, they aren't that smart, and they're also so drunk with power and so used to having control over the narrative that they don't even really understand. You know, you even hear people, you know, they, they try to sort of delegitimize people like us, not realizing we don't want to be legitimate. I don't want PolitiFact to say that I'm telling a story they agree with. I, when they say that I'm liar, liar, pants on fire, like, we're like, yeah, of course, a hoax website is going to say that. That's what we want them to say. Well, so it's a funny thing because I was just thinking about this last night. I mean, uh, I admire uh, the courage of a lot of people out there. Uh, on the internet and, and in real life. And I was thinking how that's kind of changed. Let me just sort of pass something by you and let me know what uh, what you think. So when I was a kid, um, I you know, was a little too young for this, but you know, you heard tell of Joseph McCarthy, right? The guy who was trying to root out all the communists in the State Department. And the media went after that guy like insane, like just crazy. 
and, uh, you know, kind of drove him into an early grave and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and then, of course, it turned out when the Soviet uh, classified documents were declassified, as Ann Coulter talks about, you know, it all turned out to be that he was fairly accurate in his assessment of how much the communists had infiltrated. The thing that I remember to some degree when I was a little kid was Richard Nixon being taken down by the media, you know, for stuff that, you know, all the other presidents had done and so on. But they hated him for his role in supporting Joseph McCarthy in the 50s. And so they really wanted to to get him. And so this idea, like back then, back in the day when the media would go for you, it was like, oh, no, you know, because there was no counter narrative. There was no way to get a message out to counter anything that the media might have been misrepresenting about people. But man, has that changed in the last couple of years. I mean, this pivot has been just astounding for me that there is a way for the average person to fight back against falsehoods and you know, either explicitly or implicitly enlist people who support what that person has done to to fight back and to spread the word. This power that the media had forever, basically, I mean, originally an agency uh, of of the king, then of the people, uh, and then of uh, particularly leftist interests, that seems to have largely dissolved. And again, I don't know if that shockwave has reached to the top of the media echelons yet. But this is an amazing moment of liberation for the average committed person of character and integrity. Yeah, if you have a message, all you have to do is share it now. And that's why the media realizes that they want people like Milo Ban, people like me Ban, because they're starting to see, and that's why I like to post my Twitter stats so much, is just to taunt the journalists who follow me, because that's something that they understand. They can say, oh, Mike is a crazy guy or whatever. They can try to mock me, which I don't care about. But when you show stats, they go, oh, they finally are starting to get it. And that's why you have all these articles talking about why Twitter is, is guilty of harassment. Well, the journalists harass people. They ruin the lives of innocent people every day. But they want to create a narrative that allows people who compete against the media to get kicked off of their sites. That is the end game. They're like, well, if Mike Cernovich is doing 50 million views a month on Twitter and is still growing, and he's doing his periscopes and Stefan, you know, his videos are doing 100,000, 200,000, sometimes millions of views. Crap. This is actually competition for us. We have to find ways to get them kicked off of the Internet because they're competing with us and they're winning. Well, and of course, uh, it's sort of that which does not kill you makes you stronger. And this kind of attempting to submerge, you know, it's like trying to hold a helium balloon underwater. A helium balloon doesn't care, but your arms will get tired sooner or later and it's going to get forward momentum coming up. Yeah, and it makes us angrier. So people have told me, Mike, you're going to be the next one being on Twitter. What are you going to do? And I already have a strategy laid out. Like right now, I'm friendly with a lot of people in the Valley. I'm sitting on a lot of dirt about people, affairs, you know, a lot of salacious gossip that, you know, it's kind of beneath me to just publish the gossip and the private lives of people. But if they want to ban me from Twitter and go after me, then that's going to inspire me to take total warfare to them and to use every legal means available to ruin their lives, which I will do. And I think people kind of are realizing that by now. Based on, you know, I've dug up divorce records on people, bankruptcy records on people. Well, I'm sitting on all kinds of stuff about different people. And that's what that's what's going to happen is if they try to take us out, if they think that we're a little wild now, wait until they try to censor us and see how wild we really get. Now, and you've talked about this. There's two things I wanted to to dip into your brain about, Mike, uh, which really kind of struck me as, as thought provoking exercises. Number one was you talked about thinking like a samurai. And, and just for those who want to continue to follow Mike, should the Twitter ban 
um, become effective, you can sign up for a, um, a mailing list, which is going to help people stay in touch with you uh, until an alternative is found. But you talked about the way of the samurai and uh, thinking of yourself as already defeated, as already dead. How does that play into your social media strategy? Right. The, the samurai says, you know, you meditate on death every day. In the Hagakori, you, you imagine that you're already dead. And that sounds a lot of morbid, morbid with people, but it's actually not because I already imagine then that they've killed me. And if I imagine that they've already killed me, then I cannot have any fear in the present moment ever. I can't fear anything. And I take that attitude even with real life. A lot of people say, well, you walk up to these protesters, you do this, you do that. And I said, because I've already meditated on death and I believe I'm dead. And they go, well, won't that make you reckless? Well, actually, it's fear that makes you reckless. It's anger that makes you reckless. That's why when people say, Mike, how can you talk to these liberals? You're never angry. You can just talk for hours to these people and let them blabber on and your blood pressure doesn't raise. Nothing happens. And I go, well, fear and anger are the product of believing that something bad can happen to you, that you could be killed by them. Whereas in my world, I'm already dead. And because of that, I feel no fear or anger in the, in the present moment, which ultimately is all we have. And I take that strategy in real life and I take that strategy, of course, on social media. Right, right. And, and this is the kind of thing, there's a lot of non-intuitive stuff that makes sense in hindsight that you talk about. And again, that's part of the guerrilla mindset, which again, get the book, read the book, we'll link yeah, it, it below. Yeah, it seems esoteric, right. I remember when I would read, read these old stories when I was younger, none of it made any sense. I go, well, because as the Western mind, what we do, which is great and necessary for engineering and physics, is you think, well, that's intellectually incoherent. That's a contradiction. You're always looking for these logical contradictions, which is very, very valuable, of course. But once you start to just look at the general vibe of something, well, what do you mean if, if you already meditate on death? Well, if you already think you're dead, that's when you truly are alive because you live in the present moment. Because what stops us from being present is, well, what if I go, you know, we, a lot of guys watch this. Well, I'm afraid to talk to this girl. What if I talk to the girl? And I go, well, imagine you're already dead. What do you mean imagine I'm already dead, right? Well, you're already dead, so what's the worst that's going to happen? You talk to a girl, she tells you you have bad breath or whatever, right? So the fear and the anxiety that we have in the present moment is what stops us from being alive. But if in your own mind you already say it's as if I'm already dead, that is when you truly live. Again, that sounds like a logical contradiction to Western people. But as you begin to live it and as you become more present and mindful every day, then you realize, okay, there, there is something to this. Well, and I've made, I think the very first video I made was to do with this idea that you look back on your, your problems and challenges today from your deathbed. And from your deathbed, would you rather have tasted uh, deep and juicy the fruit of life or would you rather have sat in the shadows worrying? Because either way, you're going to end up on a deathbed uh, and looking back, all of the things when you're dying that worried you at the time will seem as nothing. And it is a perspective that's very helpful, but it's, as you say, it's not a lot of part of Western philosophy, which tends to be more uh, analytical than mind experiments of liberation that tends to be a little bit more uh, eastern particularly uh, from sort of china and japan let's talk about mangled bodies because i've been meaning to ask you about this uh, as well so one of the things i think that gave you great credibility with the um the stand down order that we talked about recently was the fact that it was you right who got the picture of the Texas police shooter's body after the robot had gone in and fulfilled everyone's AI nightmares by blowing up in his presence. And given that you had gotten that, and it's not something you can just make up yourself, that showed, I think, to people objectively the degree of sources or the number of sources and the power of the sources that you had inside 
of law enforcement. How did that come about and what were the effects? Yeah, that was another instance where I just get so much information and so many sources that I got it randomly one night. They said, we want this picture getting out because we want people to know this is what happens to you. We're tired of the media saying, you know, as you know, from studying, you know, Jung and, you know, the um, Joseph Campbell, as men, we tend to have these narratives, the hero's journey, right? And right now, the shooters, because of the way the media tells the story, they can go on a hero's journey. Oh, well, I can go in and I can fight and I can die for a cause and I can die as a martyr. Well, the way that we counter that sort of hero's journey and those narratives in the media that glorifies the killers, we show their dead faces, their mangled corpses, and we say, this is the way it ends. This is what's going to happen to you. This is what you look like. And as we show more of those images, then we counteract the media, which ultimately glorifies these people. Oh, he was a shooter. Isn't this cool? Because that's what they want to make it seem like they're soldiers who went out and fought for a cause. And we want them to know this is what's going to happen to you. You're going to be a mangled corpse. You're going to be nothing. And this aspect of this pivot on the left as well, there are some aspects of the left, particularly in the past and in the 60s, that I had some admiration for. Uh, Some of the opposition to imperialism, to destructive U.S. foreign policy. It seems, Mike, like they started out with this uh, skepticism of authority. And, you know, that I think is a, is a fine thing, and it's always good to be skeptical of authority. But the degree to which they've pivoted, and I don't know if it's because they gained control of the media, because they gained control of academia, because they gained significant influence in politics, but it seems now that the real rebelliousness, the real revolution uh, is occurring uh, in the conservative world uh, against the authority, particularly uh, of leftist indoctrination, social justice warriors, and so on. And, you know, boy, if there's not a a perfect example of how power corrupts is seeing the degree to which leftists who were skeptical of authority and were originally protesting against professors and academia and the media, once they grabbed that ring, once they got that power, they turned and inhabited it and, to me, seemed to have gotten totally corrupted. And now the cycle has uh, come almost full circle and they are the conservatives. And as I wrote recently on Twitter, people like Milo are the acid-tongued conservatives who remain the only effective revolutionaries in the landscape. Yeah, you've talked about this before, which is the human impulse to enslave others is sort of universal. So the left, they got the power and all they want to enslave us. When we win, eventually we marry revolutionaries. Well, people like you and people like me who are legitimately independent thinkers and people like your audience, we very well might be liberals in 10 years or in 20 years because, you know, these these things swing. People go, Mike, were you ever a liberal? And I go, well, it used to be liberals who opposed the Vietnam War. It was liberals who were for free speech. The Jews would march with the Nazis and demand that they have the right to be Nazis and to give their free speech rights, right? Those were liberal values. Well, now the counterculture is conservative. Last night was a perfect example. We're at that, the most fab party of the RNC that Milo and a few others were at, right? So you got Jim Hoft of Gateway Pundit, who's a you know, very fun sort of gay guy. You have some sort of flamboyant twinks. You have Charles Johnson. You have Roosh V, right? You have people like me. You have more establishment types like Ali. I forget his last name right now, but you've probably seen him on Twitter. So you have this real genuine diversity of people in terms of viewpoints, attitudes, values. And it is like being in a, a punk rock concert. It was kind of kind of funny, actually. You look around and you think this is the new punk rock. 
Yeah, it really, really has changed. And I think there's a lot more diversity because of the commitment to freedom of speech uh, on the conservative side, largely, well, to some degree principled and to some degree because uh, on conservatives, the free speech is really being uh, hacked away at. And it sort of struck me that the left in terms of jigging elections is really, really terrible, right? Of course, they're importing a bunch of low-rent voters who are going to vote for the left because they've lost the argument, as I've made the case, ever since the 1960s. They lost the argument because it turned out that the communism they worshipped was just a hellhole, totalitarian, mass-murdering ideology of death. And so they switched from trying to win an argument to just importing a bunch of voters who would reliably vote uh, to the left, they have stacked the deck in academia. The left claims they're into diversity, but I've never once seen an academic department saying, hey, we don't have a lot of conservatives or libertarians uh, here. We've got to really branch out. And oh, they just want the echo chamber uh, of nonsense. And so uh, all of this um, uh, that is occurring on the left is really, really frustrating given where they came from and given where they've ended up. And it is great to see the conservatives really begin to to hack at that and manifest a lot of the values that the left claimed they were against skepticism of authority, limiting of power, free speech, diversity, to see it manifest. It's bewildering unless you understand that inside out pendulum that generally happens in society. Yeah, you have to understand human nature, which is why I like your work. And you, you have to go deep into human psychology and realize that their movements, their countercultures, but there are certain fundamental aspects of our own humanity that are negative, that desire to enslave other people, that desire for collectivism. And those collectivist forces are always going to be at work, sometimes the left, sometimes the right. And people who have principles have to stand against collectivism whenever it surfaces. And uh, Mike, of course, I, I always hate to correct you on anything because it's a risky thing to do. But um, there was a, a few things that you got wrong about the RNC. Now, According to the media, uh, Alex Jones uh, was arrested uh, and, and frog marched off because he was just being some mean, crazy guy. I think you've said other things, but of course, because the media said it, I just I hate to correct you. But uh, that is, of course, what happened, even though you were there uh, and recorded it. You can't believe your own eyes. It's really important to remember this. You must go to the media to understand exactly what happened. Well, yeah, what the happened? Media said give, us, give us the facts. <laughs> well, the media said Alex Jones was arrested for punching a black cop. Right. They tried to start that narrative. These were verified Twitter accounts trying to start that. So I go, well, no, I was here the whole time. Actually, Alex Jones approached um, a group of communists. He had the megaphone and he was talking about George Soros and Hillary and globalism. And he went in with his microphone and there were cameras all around him. And as he walked closer to the protesters and they were standing by the chief of police, I believe it was one of the protesters went and attacked Alex Jones. Right. So then Alex Jones has a megaphone, but meanwhile, the media is saying that he punched a black cop. And you're thinking, OK, how are you going to punch a cop while you have a megaphone? So the police came in and I was right in the middle of the scrum. I actually ended up almost getting thrown down Michelle Field style for real because the police come in and they break, you know, they break everything up, which is what happens. I keep, I keep telling you, Mike, stop covering this stuff in high heels. You know, that's really, really yeah. important for your balance and stability. So just my note to uh, you, but go on. No, no more no more high heels. So then the police come in and they pull everybody apart. They get all the people like me who have cameras running, all the journalists. They throw us out of the way and, and they divide it. And then Alex Jones has walked away by the police in a very friendly manner. And, of course, this is all in video. Then what happened is I'm standing around looking around and the media uh, starts putting cameras on me. They go, what happened? And I said, oh, yeah, Alex Jones came in with a megaphone. And he was talking to protesters and the protesters attacked him. The minute I said the protesters attacked him, the cameras went, Zoop, and that was it. They weren't interested in that story at all. That was over with. They wanted to hear 
what they wanted to hear. And that's what I've learned as much as I despise the media. When you're really there and I've talked to everybody who's been there, they go, Mike, I'm really glad I came just because now I see how the media manufactures the stories. You'll see, you know, a hundred smiling people. The cameras aren't anywhere on them. Oh, then Alex Jones comes in. He gets attacked by the left. Well, the media doesn't want to talk to me and say, oh, you were an eyewitness and you saw Alex Jones attacked by a protester. They kill that story in real time. And then others try to spread hoax on Twitter, lying about them when it, it never happened. Unfortunately, we're there and we have Periscope. But you really see how the media, whatever you think of the media, multiply it, maybe not you personally, but everybody listening, multiply it by about 100. That's how bad they are. All right. So this is another thing that, you know, every every morning when I wake up and check the news, I, I try not to be shocked and surprised, but I guess I'm still innocent and tenderhearted enough to have it happen. But um, it's really, as Trump pointed out, it's really nice to see the media finally diving in and analyzing an issue in great depth. It's a shame that it's Melania Trump's speech rather than, say, Hillary Clinton's uh, disastrous handling of national security details. But for those who don't know, Melania Trump gave, I thought, a very pleasant and positive speech. And uh, I admire the woman, uh, you know, to, to give a speech to 45 million people not in your native language. Not the easiest thing in the world. And I thought she did a wonderful job. And, of course, she uh, seems like a very nice person, very supportive of her husband. You know, kind of a generic going to be first lady speech. But uh, that was a very pleasant thing. And out of a, what, 16-minute speech, there were one and a half sentences or 60 words that had some similarities to something that uh, – uh, that Michelle Obama said in 2008, which in turn was mirrored by a book written, uh, I think, in the 90s. So, you know, some generic stuff that's, you know, positive and nice to hear. But man alive, the media currently sitting at 6% trust in the American public just seems determined to auger that down to three or two or one or nothing or maybe even negatives. Uh, because, man, who cares? It's absolutely unimportant. And it is tragic and very instructive that that's the most that they have to say about what's going on at the RNC. What are your thoughts on this plagiarism scandal that threatens to yeah, take so down the whatever? Pax Dickinson said it best, which is that plagiarism is, plagiarism is the only crime journalists care about because it's the only thing they can imagine themselves being victimized by. That's why it's a big deal for them. So even with Sean King, remember, he wrote some New York Daily um, columns and they forgot to insert the quotation marks when it got formatted and the media went crazy and they said, oh, he's copying other stories. Some of the media even went after Sean King over what I thought was kind of a bogus story. Although since they were going after Sean King, you know, I, I got some good, good laughs out of it. The media, that's the only thing that they can imagine because they're so narcissistic. They can only imagine maybe one of their sentences is quoted out of context. So may or quoted without a quotation marks. That's the only thing they can imagine being a victim of. So because of that, they tend to focus on that, which is totally trivial. People are saying, what do you think about it? I go, the plagiarism, nobody cares about that other than a few chattering classes. But what, what bothers me most about all this drama is you've had stuff plagiarized by the media. I've had stuff plagiarized by the media. They've stolen our stories and our scoops and our insights without giving us any credit. But God help a Republican who – you know, uses like, what is it? We must be bold. I actually went through and was quoting the dictionary where some of the, the phrases that she stole from Melania were just dictionary phrases. They were just typical inspirational kind of stuff. And then, as you mentioned, there was a book by, I think, a guy who explored Antarctica or somewhere that Michelle Obama used. So it's a complete non-story. And it really shows how desperate the media is to find something that they can pin on because 
another thing you realize when you know we're here at the RNC, we are on the right. We are very friendly, gregarious, tolerant, civilized people. You can't if you just told the truth of us and ran cameras on us, you're not going to get anything. So they have to make stuff up about us in order to discredit us because the truth truly is on our side. Well, then, I, again, I, I'm sort of glad they're doing what they're doing. But at the same time, I can't imagine being this blind to the reality. So, of course, they put all of this stuff out. Melania Trump uh, uh, stealing for even though, you know, she had a team of, sta- of, 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 of script writers, uh, speech writers. And, of course, so did Michelle Obama had a, a Jewish woman who was her script writer. Uh, I should say script writer. It seemed more like theater to me. But, yeah, her, her screenplay writer, her speech writer. So what happens, of course, is people say, wow, political plagiarism. Let's go look it up. And they find, of course, Barack Obama has stolen stuff. Martin Luther King Jr., the I Have a Dream, uh, had uh, elements that were lifted from other people. Joe Biden, Rand Paul, Hillary Clinton, you name it. Of course, uh, politics just doesn't really matter with regards to that. So again, the media, by pointing the gun at someone else, it just kind of goes off in their own face and they're discredited once more to anybody with half a brain. I guess they're just looking for the other half of humanity that has less than half a brain. Yeah, it's, it's funny, too, because some people say, well, Trump speechwriter deliberately inserted some similar language because now the, the way the media works is it, end up, it ends up making Trump look like a genius. Because, as you say, there's all this other stuff that we can focus on, and it does cause it does cause us to give more attention to this other stuff going on by the left. So in that regard, it is pretty fun. So what's your plans for the rest of the week? What are you most looking forward to and what are the big events that are coming up for you? Okay, so either today or Thursday, all of the SJWs who were bust in, but they've been hiding out because of the police presence, they're going to do that human barricade thing where they all join arms or whatever and lock arms. I would like to get footage of that. Otherwise, the protests here have been, like I said, they don't have the numbers, maybe 120 people total. So all the protests, maybe it's 120 different people. It might actually be closer to 80, but that's how small it is. I definitely want to see more protests. That's what I came to do. I came to cover the media hoaxes, too, so I'm glad that we were able to bust the Alex Jones media hoax. They tried to discredit an innocent man. I'm glad we were on the scene to do that. So I'm going to do more media watchdog stuff and also do more protest coverage. And, of course, the hope is, and it's nice to see that Trump is already creating jobs by having people funded to bust in. And, and a lot of times I would imagine paid because there's that guy that you were following, right? He had the mask, the Donald Trump mask and so on. The guy that you were following, help people understand what happened with that. That's, again, a pretty startling thing. And we'll link to it below. But uh, what was your experience of that interaction? Okay. So, yeah, there was a guy there with the, um, you know, the Trump nose thing and flipping people off and being obnoxious. So I thought, well, he wants to be obnoxious. I'm going to go ahead and be obnoxious too. So then I started, you know, taunting him a little bit as he's walking and good banter. And then I said he was a Soros shill and he, the mask, you know, we hear the metaphor, the mask has come off, right? You see what a person really is. Well, literally the mask came off and we saw who he really was. He throws the mask off. He gets right in my face. And then I think he realized like, oh, this guy is bigger than I am. You know, maybe I should not hit this guy. And meanwhile, I don't even flinch because this is just, a, you know, I, I'm, I'm already dead anyway, right? I don't fear any, feel any fear or anxiety in the present moment. It's like as if I already don't exist. And then he, he sees me. I'm not, I'm not a sore shill. I'm a doctor. Well, as it turns out, the guy is a professional protester that he calls himself a doctor, but he goes to all these events and wears his Trump hat. So it makes you wonder, you know, why did that Soros line get to him? Why did that line trigger him? 
Makes you think. Yeah, because uh, social justice warriors always project, always project. Well, I'm glad that the protests are relatively minimal. Uh, it seems a bit anticlimactic after some of the imagined lead up. Uh, you know, I'm very glad, at least at the moment, Mike, that as we sign off, I don't have to say safe, stay safe. And of course, I know I don't have to say have fun because that's probably why you bound out of bed uh, every morning. I would like to crack, congratulate you. Uh, of course, on your upcoming fatherhood, uh, that is going to be a delicious uh, and wonderful experience. And I can't wait to hear what you've got to say about it. I just wanted to remind people, please, please, please go dangerandplay.com. Follow Mike on Twitter, sign up for his uh, email blast and uh, guerrilla mindset, how to control your thoughts and emotions to live life on your terms. Always a great pleasure, Mike. Thanks so much for the chat today. Thank you. Keep doing what you're doing. I love it. And we're out. <laughs> 